I blame the pandemic, the 10% rule. That just went out the window. Because I'm a narcissist, I'm gonna insert myself in this conversation now. I understand that how's it going actually has a different answer that there's actually <laughs> something wrong. So why don't we talk a little bit about it? So, as you know, I've been injured for a while. I blame the pandemic shutdown because, as with most people in our bubble, we took that free time to go out and do more and push. Despite everything that I've written about advancing slowly and read about the 10% rule, that just just went out the window. I didn't even think about it. For the little people. It, yeah, it's for everyone else, right? It's not, it, right, it's not right, for me. Right. I'm sure my bone density is just fine. Um, I think my advice, I'm not using it. Well, it's it turns out that my bone density, I guess, wasn't fine. It's uh, not actually uh -huh. abnormal, no. However, it couldn't adapt to the pace and distance that I chose to run. And I think I've shared this graph with you of my activity through April. And I started to develop this pain in my heel and I blamed it on soft tissue, whatever, and plantar fasciitis and I kept running. And then I was getting slower and I couldn't go as long. And I kept t telling myself that it was nothing serious. Uh, and then I decided to go on a mountain run, uh, a number of miles long, it was a loop. And halfway through, I stepped on something, I felt a crack and that was it. My calcaneus stress fracture occurred. Limped out of the wood. Why don't you? Sorry. Why don't you explain where that is exactly? So the calcaneus is is the heel, and a stress fracture. You know, our bones will change in thickness and density and hardness based upon how much stress we put on them. So if we actually put you in a cast and put you on crutches, your bone density is going to become extremely low. Same thing happens to astronauts. It's a different bone right. density change than we see in the elderly in that it's easily reversible. And in the case of a runner or an athlete, your bone density will change over time if you give the body a chance to adapt. And the yeah. problem, the reason why the 10% rule exists, which means you shouldn't change your pace, your distance, et cetera, more than 10% per week, is because if you do exceed that over time, you run a high risk of developing a stress fracture or stress injury. And which is what we've run into here. And so the interesting, well, one of the interesting <laughs> things for me is you actually felt it which I think is unusual, I, right? With a stress fracture, people often don't feel a crack. It's more like, oh, there's a, I, I heard it described to me once as it's like a crescendo of pain that you feel as you run on particular runs, rather than being something that gets better, it gets worse on each run. And that is often one of the many signs that it's a stress right, fracture. Right, right, right. So like many events that we run over in our mind uh, and that game that we played at kindergarten when you told the first kid in line that they bought a, a banana and two sets of strawberries and some ice cream and it came <laughs> out something else at the end of the line, uh, we, uh, our memory of these events changed changes so it was either a stick that i stepped on that cracked or but i absolutely felt something and it what it was hmm. was a stress fracture turning into basically a real fracture it wasn't displaced it didn't move it needed an mri to show it but nonetheless it was there and so you now are all 
are all undisplaced? This is a stupid question, but I mean, and I'll ask it anyways. That's my one of my competencies. Is is not all undisplaced fractures are stress fractures? A stress fracture is a very sort of idiosyncratic and specific form of of non fracture where it's might not even be a through fracture, right? It might be partially through the plane. Correct. They're very different types and degrees of stress fractures. They can be stress reactions where you just have edema or inflammation inside the bone. Uh, so the bone is made of little spicules on the inside we call trabeculae or microtrabeculae. And you could, which is sort of like a lattice work or a scaffolding. And you could uh, literally break one spicule or trabeculae right. and it'll cause a lot of edema. So you have a very mild stress fracture that can propagate if you don't stop and go through uh, a quarter of the bone, half the bone, three quarters, and then eventually it can go all, all the way through. Right, right. So it's it could vary in terms of degrees, but in its extreme form, you can have a stress fracture turn into a full fracture and even in a displaced fracture. Correct. The worst case would be the hip, right? The femoral neck uh, stress fracture. Right. So groin pain and mid-tibial pain when running is a reason to just stop. Don't even push it. Not yeah. even I would do it because that's a stress fracture of the femoral neck, which if it displaces can result in the need for a hip replacement. So it's it's fairly dramatic. Don't go, don't go right, there. Right, 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 right. Yeah, what I found most interesting so, of all of this is I see people with calcaneal stress fractures and treat them all the time. And you come to my office, you get an MRI and we prove it. I'm going to stop you running. I might stick you in one of those big, clunky obnoxious boots which probably cost four dollars from china and they charge you <laughs> 600 for it and i would probably put you on crutches for a few weeks and as we know i didn't do that i immediately adapted my bike shoes so that i could ride my bike so i found this whole situation quite fascinating so let's let's come back to that and we'll talk about what what you've tried, and I'm because I'm a narcissist, I'm going to insert myself into this conversation now because I've I've managed to do almost the exact same thing, except in in Paul fashion, I managed to do something even dumber. So my version of this is I've been doing an incredible number of miles, mostly on trails, and I wore out a pair of shoes, and I like to keep a couple of shoes in rotation, so I added a new shoe to the rotation, which was. I'll name no brands, but it was a, a well-known brand that I've used for years, and they have a new version out. And I thought, oh, I'll try. I'll use that version. I'll buy it in the same size. Well, that's a mistake because often shoe manufacturers change the it's the same size. I'm a eleven and a half or twelve, depending on what brand I'm buying. But in this particular brand, changing shoes actually at the same size turned out to be a slightly different size. And I'm too stubborn to admit that I bought the wrong size. <laughs> Even though it was a half size difference, on a run, I go out for a run in these new shoes. They're very spiffy, and I'm quite pleased with myself, just rocking along. And I'm feeling a little bit of pressure on the front of my right uh, big toe, which is my right foot is slightly larger, maybe a quarter size larger than my left shoe, my left foot, which isn't a big deal if you've got enough extra space in the shoe. But in this case, <laughs> I, I felt it pressing against the end, which was whatever. And I still ran, I don't know, like 10, 12 miles or some stupid thing. And then all the way back down a mountain, come back and the toe is really sore. And so what I did was this classic compensatory behavior 
where I found that the pressure on the toe was really bothering me after that run. So I found myself walking for two days, and this is, I don't think I told you this before, but this is sort of hilarious, <laughs> with li having lifted the, le the right big toe slightly so it didn't make constant contact with the ground. <laughs> now, that, of course, is a ridiculously stupid thing to do because all you're really doing is stretching the tendons and ligaments under your foot, which creates new sources of tension immediately underfoot and all the way back up your Achilles tendon and potentially into your calf, right? Because you're really just doing a perpetual <laughs> sort of uh, plantar fascia stretch all the time, which is not a particularly good idea to do 24-7. And what do you like? I don't know, a couple of days later, I go for a run and suddenly for the first time ever, I have this pain immediately in front of the heel underneath the foot. And I think, I think I have something going on here. And I realized after all, I really do have something going on here. Quite a sharp feeling, almost a tearing sensation. I have plantar fascia problems. <laughs> I've never had this before. And so the feeling that this was exciting went away fairly quickly. Uh, my son has plantar fascia problems and he's always explaining it to me and I'm always like, yeah, yeah, well, I don't have that. <laughs> well, I did it to me. <laughs> so I completely did it to me by stubbornly wearing a pair of shoes. You know, the last was slightly lost smaller on this same model of the newer sh of the shoe. And then doing this compensatory behavior, which was lifting the toe so it didn't strike anything because it hurt after having been whammed against the front of my shoe for miles. And that, of course, led to this cascade of problems, not least of which was this plantar fascia problem, which is now almost two and a half, three weeks ago, and I'm still wrestling with. And it all started because I did something ridiculously stupid, which was I had worn out a pair of shoes, worn out shoes from running so much, and then didn't pay attention that a new shoe was slightly different size than another one. Wham, bam, bam, bam. Down I go down a cascading waterfall of, of stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really, it, but it has been really striking to me that in sort of in your words, standing back and creating the narrative after the fact, it's all very obvious to me how I got there. But at the time, it was all just a series of discrete decisions that led to a place I am now. Correct. Right? So, and I mean, and you must hear this story all the time. Someone does something, these compensatory behaviors. I have a problem on my left side of my body. Well, it just so happens that that induced, a, so I compensated by, by using the right side more and you get into some issue over there. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's not where the problem was. It doesn't really matter. Right? Correct. We we are all connected. We are one in integrated, often well-designed system. Uh, and you throw little quirks in the system and things can go wrong really quickly. <laughs> right. Yeah. And this is a, this is a canonical, uh, just a great example where by compensating for something that A, I shouldn't compensate for, and by B, having just done something stupid, which was wearing shoes that were too small for miles and miles and miles, I ended up with a really unhappy plantar fascia along the bottom. Maybe this is a good point to sort of explain what plantar fascia are for those of you who haven't been rewarded with having this experience. And I'll let you do that. But I mean, it's kind of connective tissue across the bottom of the foot, right? That connects the it's a really tendons and ligaments across the foot to the... Right. It's a really 
dense fascia, which is a tough, tough tissue. You would cut it off your steak if you saw it. And <laughs> it connects from the calcaneus and it goes across the foot and helps to maintain your arch and it comes under the big toe. And what happens with this windlass mechanism is as you bring your big toe up, it actually tightens the plantar fascia and helps firm up the arch of the uh, foot. And Plantar fasciitis is so misunderstood. Everyone thinks it's a heel spur. On your right, x-ray, right. don't matter. Don't even bother about it. Everyone has them. They're from traction. The fascia pulls on the heel, so the heel grows a little bone into it, and you get the spur. But that's not what's hurting you. It's the tissue. It's the same as the tendon pain you get from tennis elbow, from rotator cuff, from patella tendinopathy, yeah. Achilles, etc. It's all the same type of pain. But it's a very, very tough, strong tissue there. That doesn't that doesn't like it very much when you keep it constantly under tension. <laughs> Just as a personal anecdote. Like here. like any like like the bones, it doesn't like these right. abrupt changes. Yeah, it wants to be loaded and unloaded, not not put under incredible stress that it's never seen before for a long period Correct. of time. It doesn't like a surprise yeah. party. <laughs> it doesn't look, it's like a t-shirt, isn't it? Plantar fascia, don't like a surprise party. So, by the way, and I was mentioning this to, this to you earlier, but there's a guy, Ethan Newberry, who's got a wonderful YouTube channel and uh, website called Ginger Runner, where he reviews shoes. And he, uh, one of the things he did maybe uh, six months ago was he wrote, he, had, he got injured. Hello, I'm Ethan Newberry, and I'm an injured piece of shit. And he had this nice taxonomy of the various phases you go through six phases of an injury starting with phase number one acknowledgement it's almost like one of those stages of grief right. models that you go <laughs> right that you go through as injury phases but as an athlete as a runner or a cyclist or anything else it's 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 unique to that which i love I'll, I'll just quickly go through a couple that this idea that you start off by acknowledging that you're injured okay i get it i'm in pain there's something's wrong here and then you're my, the very next reaction and this is uh, certainly true for me and probably for you, but I'll let you answer is that my next reaction is which immediately leads to phase number two anger. Fuck, 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 fuck. I'm fucking injured. I'm kind of pissed off. It's like, oh, I've done this again. I've hurt myself. I just was, you know, I've been doing all these things right now. I've somehow hurt myself and I didn't even fall off anything. I just hurt myself being especially stupid. when we had the knowledge to prevent it. I mean, this right, is what right. I do for a living, for God's sakes. I talk <laughs> yeah, about this day in and day out. Right. And when I talk to my right. athletes and like, well, when can I run? I don't have, I don't have any right. pain. Right. You know, when I walk, I'm like, when you can run normally and you can't limp. Well, I'll change shoes. No. Well, I'll change my gait. No. I'll change my pace. No. When you can yeah, run no. normally, you can run. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That and, and that back to Ethan's thing. Ethan's third stage in this is negotiations, exactly. which is exactly what you're describing. Is that you? You negotiate with your trainer, with your physiotherapist, often with yourself or maybe your spouse, and say, "Okay, fine. I've injured myself, and I'm annoyed about it, but I'll do this." And almost always, this is something that not only doesn't make it better, but has a pretty good, decent chance of making it worse. It's I'll, I won't run as far. I won't run as fast. I'll wear shoes with uh, more padding or, uh, or or I won't run in zero drop shoes or whatever. We all come up with these. There's a magic solution that we negotiate with ourselves that we think we can try out. And most times it has absolutely no effect and it more likely makes things worse. Yeah, and you also run the risk of throwing another system off. 
and having another injury somewhere else because you're not running or walking normally. And my, <laughs> I think I might have told you this before, but years ago, I hurt myself running and I said, it's so hard to get to the same level of aerobic effort on my bike, so I'm going to have to really work at it. So I was hammering hard for weeks on my bike, and guess what I did? I blew my hamstring. <laughs> so it's like, I'm, it's just, this is a classic compensatory behavior. You just just leave it alone, which sort of takes you to the end of Newbery's, model, uh, Newbery's phases, which is just ex acceptance, and then to the stage where at least I'm at, and hopefully you're at, which is patience, right? I mean, I am where I am, and it's what's going on is what's going on, and it'll take precisely as long as it takes as long as I'm reasonably careful about what I do about it. Right. And and now I, I'm not high on patience. No, I suck <laughs> And <patience>, so, <laughs> so I, I went and I have my bike on a trainer and I'm running the Peloton app and riding the Peloton. And like I wrote on Twitter the other day, you it just encourages injury. You know, we're going to get crushed yeah, for this yeah. statement. But they're just, every video is just push, 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 kill yourself. So I'm yeah. sitting here on the seat and my ass hurts and I can't figure out if I'm pulling my hamstring or it's just that my ass hurts. And... But as you, as you said, though, and I saw you tweeted this, I think, that there's no one here ever heard of Zone 2 exercise. Yeah, precisely. Right? So I get on their low-impact rides precisely to do a Zone 2 ride and just hear some music and have someone talk to me. And they're pushing, and they're pushing <laughs> forward. Or I go yeah, to yeah, do yeah. a Power Zone ride, and they're riding in Zone 5, and I'm not a trained cyclist. So my heart can deal with a lot because... I'm a runner. So I have a heart rate of 125, 130, but my legs are dying. So yeah, it's not yeah. a cardiac zone five. I'm still in zone two or three on my heart, but my legs are in zone seven. <laughs> right. You're just so I'm running the risk of doing something there. But my. Yeah, well, hams, hamstrings would be my. Just keep an eye out for that. I'm having. I puts my hand up here and I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> so. But I, I was talking to a guy who's an ultra runner friend, and there's a lot of insidious effects that kick in here because you and I were, I mean, we're relatively serious about this stuff, but I'm not going to win any races. Right. I'm a, I was a mid-pack runner racer at best whenever I ran that and did more competitive things. But if you're trying to or are further along in terms of being more competitive, one of the insidious things he was saying to me is there's just this crushing feeling. I'm I'm near the peak of my fitness, and I can't. The thought of having to build back to this point again for an upcoming race season or whatever else is just unbearable. And I, I don't have that problem, and I'm guessing you don't either. But I, I'm sympathetic to that as yet another pressure that people feel, especially people who are kind of at the bleeding edge of of feeling fit. Oh, I totally get that. I'm now at the point of training up uh, and getting back to running and I'm yeah. following AI-based return to running program based on mm -hmm. the data. I don't know whether it works, but it has me doing <laughs> one mile runs. I don't even want to get dressed for a one mile run or a two mile run. And then it doesn't hurt. So I want to go further, but my brain is telling me don't. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is just going to come back again. And these are yeah. the challenges that I faced across the table, again, in the office every single day. And I, I guess it's good that it happened. Uh, it's given me a far better understanding. I can still learn new things at 57. Go figure. Mm-hmm. But getting back to this is really hard. And this is the time of year, let's see, one of my favorite trail races would have been coming up in about a month and a half. And I know I could run this 15-mile trail race in under three hours, and it's really steep and hard. But right now, I couldn't walk it in a day. Yeah, and this is, I've been, I I was thinking about this in the context of my current problem but years ago i was in a race which was another ridiculously stupid race where you would round a corner i was it was a hill run it was like two thousand foot hill run and at random surprising moments on the hill run which i was perfectly prepared for the the hill running part of the hill run there'd be a guy who would jump out from behind like a a tree or something and say do 50 (laughs) burpees there was like this kind of weird component (laughs) to the race which I wasn't totally ready for. As it turns out, I don't often stop and do 50 burpees in the middle of a run. It's just not a thing I do. And I finished the run more wasted than I've ever felt, but in particular with some knee pain that I'd never felt before, which I thought was just the amount of effort I'd had on the run and whatever else. But it took me probably a year before... I didn't feel, here's the interesting thing, at least from my standpoint, was that I don't think it was ever really injured. It was just a part of me feeling discomfort that I'd never really felt before from a combination of activities. But there was a level of, and I'm sure there's a better word, but there was a level of apprehension, movement-centric apprehension that every time I felt something there, I thought, oh, it's that again. (laughs) Yes. Right? And I hear that a lot from friends of mine who've gotten various problems where it's almost a, a, a Dr. Strange lovey and paranoia that, uh-oh, here it comes again, right? That I'm afraid to do the things I want to do as much as I want to do them because you're paranoid that you're feeling that sensation. And I think nerves, my, my belief is that nerves are such twitchy things that as soon as you become apprehensive, you will feel more things in that area. It's like asking yourself, I feel something in the back of my head, and I'm thinking about the back of my head. Well, yeah, you're going to start feeling things there because you're, you're, you're making yourself more aware of it. And it applies to almost everything in terms of kinematics and body movement. No I doubt. Think. And one of the things that I stress when I have medical students uh, and other physicians who shadow me in the office is when I discuss injury recovery with all my athletes i always cover pain uh, and what it means because most often it does not mean you're causing harm Uh, and that's really important to convey and then if there are warning pains or warning signs i make sure i cover those really carefully to to let them know when they are at risk uh, of injuring themselves and when they're not at risk of injuring themselves but I'm facing that same thing now. I'll get yeah. little twitches in my heels and feet that I've, I've always had. But of course, it's my yeah. stress fracture coming back. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. you, can't get it, you can't get it out of right. your head. And of right? course, so. as we covered, it didn't get better in six weeks. <laughs> the magic six weeks turns out not to be a solution. Let's talk a little bit about... Two things. One is two or three things that you found are, 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 as far as you can tell, that are working the most for you. And I'll do the same. And then talk about the prognosis for these kinds of injuries. So 
Uh, why don't you start? What sorts of things do you think are making the most difference and how do you, it's not just the passage of time? Huh. <laughs> Two things that are making the most difference from my recovery. It really was the acceptance phase when I, yeah. when I understood what I had done and what I have to do. I was looking, I was finally able to look forward and say, okay, you will run again. You're not going to run for a few months. And then tweaking my understanding of how we were taught to treat these into adapting to something that I was comfortable with in terms of a level of exertion where I did not think that I was putting myself at undue risk, namely bike riding right. as opposed to being in a boot. And that's, again, I'm 57, but I'm still capable of adapting things in my practice. But the downsides of rest in a human being are quite severe. And <laughs> it's fairly right? brutal. And I'm convinced that my recovery would be horribly delayed if I had done nothing between April and now in terms of any, mm -hmm. any resistance or uh, aerobic exercise. So the, one of the things that always, uh, it's one of the confounds in almost any medical therapy is that in general, people have this annoying tendency to get better. <laughs> and if you give them enough time and keep them away from enough well-intentioned but dangerous practitioners of almost anything who want to cut them open or do whatever, the, a lot of things, not everything obviously, but a lot of non-acute things will get better. It's just how do you people... I, and this is a terrible expression, but I often use it when I'm talking to people who are injured, but keep them sucking their thumb, thumb long enough <laughs> that time goes by and the thing that was going to get better gets better anyway, and they feel like they somehow contributed to it without having made it worse. And this is, this is a perennial problem, and I see it in my own behavior, is that I'm perfectly happy to embrace all sorts of quackery in terms of things that might... I'm rolling on spike balls and all sorts of great fun stuff. I'm not convinced any of this stuff does diddly, but it's a great way to pass the time. It makes you feel like you somehow have an instrumental effect on the No problem. doubt. I can get two to four weeks out of a stretching program. I can then right. add a compression sleeve <laughs> and get another three or four weeks out of it when yeah. I'm negotiating yeah. with a patient, perhaps uh, a medication or something innocuous. And yes, I am distracting most often, waiting for Mother <laughs> Nature to right. take its time and heal it. And that's why the and placebo effect is real. Everyone thinks it will then be the compression sleeve. No, it happens to be that you put it on six months after the pain started and that's when it was going to get better, but I don't care. And, and the thing is, this can, it can sound really cynical to say that, and it's not at all. The, the problem is that people want to do too, too much too soon, and they need something to do that's at least neutral and potentially even productive that keeps them from doing the wrong thing soon. These are often the things they require, whether it's a stretching program or a compression sleeve or a spike ball rolling under your plantar right. fascia. Right. I mean, I, it's it's really fascinating to me how that works. So let's talk. Uh, and I, I've already sort of tipped my hand in terms of the sorts of things I'm doing. I, I find these spike balls under my foot feel hugely satisfying. It hurts so much. It must be doing something good. <laughs> Just classic sort of behavior. But but looking forward, let's talk prognosis. So stress fractures, prognosis for patient Dr. Howard Lux is. Let's have it straight, Doc. 
You gonna retire me? My prognosis is excellent. My fracture has completely healed. Uh, I'm not out of the woods. It can recur, so I'm going to stick to my return to running program uh, and not allow myself to get too far uh, ahead of it. And are you in any way exceptional here? Is this or what you've seen in terms of how it's gone, the progression, the healing? This feels fairly typical to you. So trying to view this from the outside in, yeah. But again, I, I, I think I would be much further behind if I had stuck myself in a boot and used uh-huh. a pair of uh-huh. crutches. I really, you know, which is really yeah, interesting. Yeah, my bone density w- would be lower. My muscle mass would have gone down. Uh, my metabolism would have changed. Mitochondrial numbers would have diminished aerobic capacity would have diminished right it goes on and on and from a macro level all the way down you know little ends uh kinema um so yeah i i've learned a lot through this i'm not glad it's happened but i'm glad i learned something it's funny uh just a quick digression i don't know if you've seen the last dance that documentary i think it's on espn of the 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 last season of the bulls with jordan there's there's a great it keeps flashing back to the past and there's a moment in Jordan's history where in landing, I guess he was coming in for a jump ball. No, no, no. He was trying to retrie- uh, retrieve a ball at the opponent's basket and, and he landed and quickly started limping, yes. pulled up and it was a stress fracture and I've forgotten which bone it was, but across the top his of his navicular. foot, I think. Oh, was it the navicular? Yeah. Okay. Well, see, there's one I know. And um, across the navicular... And one of the things that was really interesting to me, and and it struck me as you were just talking there about your own self-therapy, was he did what the doctors wanted, but then kind of ran away and went back to whatever college it was he went to. Right, North Carolina. I'm not a basketball guy. North Carolina. I was going to say, I'm not a basketball guy, so I'll get this wrong, which will sound stupid. And started getting active again. And it struck me in watching The Last Dance that well, I wouldn't necessarily write that up as an academic paper or make it into a protocol for rehab, that it, in all likelihood, probably didn't hurt him too much that he stayed active sooner than his doctors wanted. Uh, you know, and that specific incident, you know, he was kept down for a long time. I mean, he, a long time. Right. I think they, you know, he went back to North Carolina to play when they were giving him a quote unquote 10% risk of re injuring. Which is sort right. of garbage because we can't estimate that no. risk anyway. You know, the navicular, though, is a really tricky bone. If you get a stress fracture, it's a really interesting story, actually. Joe Tom, uh, who is a famous sports doc from Philly, um, became uh, very well known for treating these navicular stress fractures in a cast. And you got a very specific cast, tight-fitting, uh, short-leg cast, and you were non-weight-bearing, and it was for a long time. It was for three or four months. <clears throat> wow, that <clears throat> that is a long time. these bones are hard to get to heal. Other people yeah. thought that they could surpass his results, even though 100% of his cases healed <laughs> with surgery. And still to this day, some people still advocate surgery for these non-displaced navicular stress fractures, even though Torg had this large series sharing. No, is not in fact necessary. Um, so at least uh, I was very happy to know that Jordan had it treated without surgery because if he had surgery, so there was no surgery, right, it would have probably ended his career. 
He was in a boot, though, I think, right? I, I think I remember seeing some footage. He was of in a cast was and then a boot. I see. Okay. And it, was, it just struck me as interesting that I, I initially thought this was a, a kind of stupid renegade move. And then I got thinking that, A, the 10% re-injury just seemed drawn out of thin air. And that it probably, doing a little bit of running in a pool and what have you, at, at least at his level, but maybe at anyone's level, isn't such a bad idea in terms of trying not to restart from zero and getting another injury. Right, right, right. Exactly. I, I think, you know, based upon the way he, you know, playing for 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 8 minutes, 12 minutes, half right. a game, I think, you know, progressed at a reasonable uh, and he did the right thing. Well, let's hope we both do the right thing. I'm not going to go to North Carolina and run in the pool, but at least for now, I'm not going to wear shoes that are too small for me. So we'll both report back, but hopefully we both have good prognosis from Absolutely. There. All right. Okay. Thanks, Howard. Bye-bye, Paul. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. Content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. We will not respond to requests for medical advice.